I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. This is boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. And we are back. Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network, Colin Cowherd's Podcast Network. Glad you could join me for this episode where we have some breaking news. I love when that happens. When we have breaking news before the podcast and not after it. We have a deal between Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. for a welterweight title unification fight. The long national nightmare that was Spence and Crawford is over. The two will meet on July 29th in Las Vegas. All four belts on the line in that fight. Showtime pay-per-view will distribute. ESPN, of course, first to report the news of this story. We're going to get into that uh, a little bit later in the show. Alexis Rocha, the number one contender, the WBO 147-pound title. He will join me and talk about what the last couple of months have been like for him as he has tried to navigate the welterweight waters while Spencer Crawford were doing their thing. Uh, he is back in action this weekend against Anthony Young at Fantasy Springs in California. Stick around for that. Well, as you know, May is a huge month for boxing. You've got Katie Taylor's homecoming in Ireland against Chantel Cameron. You've got Devin Haney and Vasily Lomachenko for all the belts at 135. Pay-per-view is always a great option, but I promise you, there is nothing better than being in person for these title bouts. Well, Game Time is the fastest growing ticket app in the U.S. With tickets on everything from premier boxing matches to the NBA and NHL playoffs to MLB regular season, Game Time has tickets to it all, even concert and comedy shows too. Download the Game Time app and redeem code MANIX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms, of course, always apply. Again, download the Game Time app and enter promo code MANIX, that's M-A-N-N-I-X, for $20 off. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Right now, Dan Canobio, John Boy Media, Inside Boxing Live. He will be in Orlando, Florida this weekend for the debut of the Most Valuable Prospects series. 
a brainchild of Jake Paul and Most Valuable Promotions. That's a uh, show that you can stream live on DAZN as well. So, Dan, let's start right here with the big news. Spence versus Crawford is done. Wow. Uh, I had been hearing rumors over the last couple of weeks that they were just finalizing some details that July 29th was, in fact, the working date. But now here we are, seemingly with that fight, uh, good to go. How are you feeling about it? I feel uh, relieved, just like um, a lot of fans are feeling right now. Um, also, we have seen a lot of reports over the last couple of months, years, it uh, feels like. Um, this one feels a little more real. Um, I do trust Coppinger. I do trust ESPN and their reporting. Um, this seems like it's a go. We've seen a lot of these uh, pieces to the puzzle start to fall. Uh, you know, your your guest later on in the show, Alexis Rocher, he was supposed to fight Terrence Crawford. That fell out. But overall, I mean, this is the fight that all fans want to want to see. I mean, this has been a great year for boxing already. Now we get to add on an undisputed fight. We're going to figure out who the best welterweight of this generation is. Is it a little too late? Probably, but it's not like super late. It's not Pacquiao Mayweather late. I still think both these guys are one and two in the welterweight division. I think they're top five in the pound for pound list, even though I don't make pound for pound list. I, I believe in the Mount Rushmore theory, and I think both their faces are slapped on that Mount Rushmore. I'm excited. Um, it's a big fight, and finally, uh, it's here, and it's been a banner year for the sport, so let's go. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too. Um I do have some Pacquiao Mayweather concerns. Uh, Crawford is, what, 36 years old. Spence is 33. Uh, Crawford has been more active than Spence, just fought in the fall of last year. But Spence has been off since a year ago, April. And this fight taking place in July, that's a pretty long layoff for a guy that, you know, for the last couple of months, it's been assumed he was going to move up to 154 pounds uh, to fight yep. Keith Thurman. So now he's going to drop back down to welterweight and, uh, take this fight. Uh, I'm glad it's happening. Don't get me wrong. But I do have that Pacquiao Mayweather spidey sense kind of going off uh, in the back of my ear where I start to wonder if we're going to get the kind of fight that we hoped we were going to get. But I agree with you. They still are one, two in the welterweight division. They still are both somewhere in the top five in my pound for pound list. So I, I think there's there's obvious value to having this fight. But I mean, do, do you not get even a little bit of concern that these two guys get in the ring, we feel that buzz in the in the building right before the fight, and then twelve rounds later, we're looking at it going, oh man, I really yeah. wish I saw this like three years ago. I, I got yeah, a little of bit of that going on. Yeah, a little, of course, of course, because it, it is too late, like I said. But it's not over marinated. It's not too late. Like, I do still think they're at the they are on the other end of it, but just barely over that that the top of that mountain. Um, I don't know. I like. I, I feel like the styles make fights. That's that's one of the oldest sayings in sports, right? Um, Errol Spence, no matter how long he's been out of the ring, yes, the, the layoff does concern me. And it's something I talked about with Chris Algieri on, on my show. It's like, I almost rather them take a tune-up fight, as crazy as that sounds, because it's going to make the their fight when they do step in the ring better a better product. But with Spence, he's a guy that throws close to 70 punches around. He's going to bring that pace, even if it goes down to 60, 65, that's still tops in the welterweight division. Then you got a guy in Crawford who was half of that. Throws about 30 to 35 punches around, but he stopped nine of his last 10 guys. He's got knockout power. That right there leads me to believe, even if they're slightly off their game, their their career averages and their career norms are going to produce a fun fight. Would I rather have it in 2018? Of course. 2019? Of course. But I still think it's going to be a damn good fight. And most of all, we're going to get some closure on this welterweight division. I mean, this division is supposed to be one of the best in boxing. It's been stagnant. There's guys below it that are just not fighting. We haven't figured out who's the best. Like, if anything, it just let's just move on past this fight afterwards, if it's a good fight or not, and figure out who uh, who's next at welterweight after this, because I think both guys will move up, even though I do did uh, read that there's some type of rematch clause in this. Yeah, course. I think that's what's interesting about this fight, too, is that that there's a bilateral rematch clause. Both guys can exercise it uh, within 30 days of the last fight, which you know suggests more likely than not we get two of these fights at some point this year. And look, whoever emerges from all this, hell, maybe there's a trilogy if it turns out to be uh, two great fights that have different decisions. But whoever emerges would then be lined up to face Jermel Charlo, who you know will have most, if not all, the belts still at 154 pounds. And whether it's Spence, who 
as had a lot of back and forth with Jamel Charlo on social media, or Crawford, who, uh, sorry, Crawford had a lot of back and forth with uh, Charlo. Spence, the stablemate of Charlo mm-hmm. with Derek James, which makes for an interesting dynamic in that gym. Um, that's another major fight. So, you know, th- not only are we getting Spence versus Crawford, but it sounds like we are likely to get Spence versus Crawford too within six months of the first fight happening. And if one guy wins both those fights, well, we could get Crawford or Spence versus Jamel Charlo, which is another monster pay-per-view in the first right. half of 2024. So I guess better late than never is the way that I'm looking at this. I just, I'm crossing my fingers, man. And I'm hoping that when sitting there at T-Mobile arena in the summer, that I'm not sitting there in the sixth round going, damn, do I wish this fight happened a few years ago? Damn, well, Crawford's not wrong, as though. explosive. A lot would have to go. I mean, Crawford, I, I almost don't even remember his last fight. I know he dropped the guy and stopped him, and and, and that yeah, was that. David Abinacin. Still, look sharp. still uh, looks sharp. Yeah. Still looks sharp. Um, Spence, we got to go back to Ugas. Got to go back to 2021. A lot yeah. of it is obviously not by his own doing. You know, the another car accident, which is crazy to believe. I, I just go back to it. I, I just still think that they still have enough to, to give us a, a good fight. But... I feel like I'm just repeating myself once again. We're, we're getting movement, like you just said, Chris. Like we're getting, yeah. move, we're seeing like the light at the end of the tunnel. Like we're making matchups. Like we're seeing a, a 135 and 140 carry the sport. We had an awesome six months of the year, right? And we did not. The heavyweight title wasn't even on the line in the first six months of the year. There wasn't any significant uh, heavyweight fights outside of Joyce uh, and Zhang, and if you want to count uh, uh, Joshua's fight, um, uh, Canelo fought in in a fight that many fans uh, were not really asking for with Ryder. Uh, there was not a lot of of the big names stepping into the ring or in significant fights for the first six months of the year, and we still had a very good year. So, if anything, this brings up business in a big way. Like I feel like Spence and Crawford looked at uh, Tank and Ryan, and they looked at what they saw this past weekend with Haney Lomachenko. Like big fights need to be made. Like big fights need to be made in the sport for to keep it going. Like mainstream appeal is everything. Every other sport has it. Boxing needs it too. I'm curious to see what kind of business this fight does. Um, a high bar has been set with Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis, which did somewhere in the neighborhood of a million uh pay-per-view buys. Um, this is obviously a better fight, a more high-level fight, but it probably doesn't have the mainstream marketability that Gervonta and Ryan Garcia had. Uh, both those guys were huge social media presences. You know, Crawford has a presence, Spence has a presence, but neither one of them are as active as either one of those guys on social media. Uh, there's no de facto promoter involved, no Oscar De La Hoya or Eddie Hearn or, uh, you know, Frank Warren or Bob Arum. You're going to have, you know, Tom Brown most likely promoting it, and he's done a fine job in those situations, but is not the outspoken type of promoter involved. I am curious to see what kind of business it does uh, on on fight night, if it does the kind of numbers it should do, because it is a high level fight, it probably is going to determine who is the number one pound for pound guy in all of boxing. Um, I wonder how embraced it's going to be uh, by the time we get uh, uh, to fight mm. night. All right, yeah, let's look past. Yeah, yeah. What, what number do you think? I'm curious. What number do you think? Uh, I would probably peg it the over under at half a million. Yeah, I would. Say I would say. I mean, Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis were a perfect storm. Yep. You know, it was a lot of trash talk. It was a lot of lot of good buildup. I mean, these two, Spence and Crawford, are going to have some moments during the buildup. I hope they have, like, press tours that create visuals that, you know, can carry them up until the fight. But uh, even still, it, it just doesn't have that same magic, I don't think, at least commercially, that uh, Ryan versus Tank uh, ultimately did. All right, let's look back at this past weekend in Las Vegas. Devin Haney against Vasily Lomachenko. This was billed as a high-level fight between two high-level boxers. And by that definition, it lived up to the expectation. Like, both these guys are sharp. Both these guys are elite boxers. And a lot of these rounds were close. Two of the judges scored the fight, 115-113 for Devin Haney. Dave Moretti, who we're going to get to, he scored the fight 116-112 in favor of Devin Haney. So Devin Haney comes away with unanimous decision. There are a lot of people out there, Dan, yeah. crying robbery after the fight. Bob Arum, the promoter of the fight, of both fighters at that time, he was caught on a hot mic, a hot mic he was holding, a hot mic saying to Lomachenko's manager, you won this fight easy. That's something that Devin Haney took exception Thanks. to after reading uh, and seeing that on social media. So let's start here. Do you think Haney's win was a robbery? No. There are no such things as 7-5 robberies. 
a majority of the fans that I have spoken to or read on my social media are in agreement that Lomachenko won this fight and they, he won 115 to 113. That's a 7-5 fight. That's not a robbery. Robberies is, is Roy Jones Jr. 1988 Summer Olympics. 86 to 32, he outlanded his opponent and didn't get the gold. There was corruption involved with that. Time. Robbery is Lennox Lewis of Andrew Holyfield 1999, uh, a fight that was ruled a draw uh, when Lennox Lewis outlanded Holyfield by 218 punches. I understand punches landed aren't the, the gospel. They are to me and my family, at least. But the, those are robberies, Chris. Those are robberies. This is a close fight. But the thing with social media and the thing with, I'm not trying to get all deep here, with society is there's no nuance anymore. There's no black. It's just black or white. Robbery or not. So there isn't like a close fight. Doesn't doesn't get your likes on, on Twitter and, and all that. So I understand fans are upset that thought that Lomachenko won and uh, they're upset and, and I'm never watching boxing again. It's a robbery. It's just easy to scream out robbery the same way it's easy to scream out corruption when you see bad judging. There's no such thing as a 7-5 fight being a robbery. Like that's a, it's a close fight. Those are razor thin rounds like Lou DiBella, who our friend who has seen more boxing than all of us said those that was some of the closest and hardest fight I ever had some of those rounds to score. I understand he had a dog in the race with, with Haney who has a piece of him, but that just shows you right there. These were really hard rounds to score. Obviously, I thought Moretti's was a little wide, but, I mean, that's not a robbery. Stop. No, it wasn't a robbery. Um, I scored the fight 8-4 in favor of Lomachenko. I had a dead even through eight rounds, and the last four I gave to Lomachenko. Uh, but I can see two of the last four rounds easily swinging to Devin Haney. I believe the ninth and the 12th, in my mind, could have gone either way. And the first eight rounds, to your point, I, I saw them being incredibly close. I mean, the body work of Devin Haney was effective. The flurrying of Lomachenko was effective. There were very few rounds in that fight that I sat there in my seat thinking, that's a clear Haney round, or that's a clear Lomachenko round. So when it's announced 115-113 uh, by two judges, no issue with that whatsoever. The 16-12 scorecard wasn't so much a problem because of how wide it was. It was on a micro level when you look at how a couple of the rounds were scored. Maybe just one of the rounds were scored. And Dave Moretti scored the 10th round for Devin Haney. That was a round that was clear Lomachenko. Lomachenko had his, did his best work in the 10th and 11th rounds of this fight. He hurt Devin Haney in those rounds of this fight. To score the 10th round for Devin Haney just tells me you're not watching and you're not doing the job as it's meant to be done. And I took issue with Dave Moretti on that. Dave Moretti also has a bit of a history with some just bonkers scorecards. I mean, he was the one that scored, what was it, the 7th or 8th round in Golovkin Canelo 1 that if they had swung it in favor the right way in yeah. favor of Golovkin, it would have been a draw. Uh, I think he also had, did he have the 10, 10 round in Garcia versus yeah, tank? Which, round. Yeah. Which like, which had a knockdown. I, I don't like the, that to me tells me you shouldn't be judging fights anymore. Like yeah, or, or at least you should be, you should be forced to be retrained or, or there's something should happen. You shouldn't be put on these kind of high level fights. Something you should be on these happen. high level fights. If you're, if you're going to be, you know, scoring fights in this way, whether you should be taken out of the rotation or, Something. There's got to be some so, kind right? of repercussions. You would think so. Look, but, listen to this. So I, I look at the scorecards and I and I I dissected them. Um, Moretti gave the last six rounds. He gave five of them to Haney. Yeah. If anything, Loma came on strong in the in the second half of the fight. The judges were only on the same page in five of the twelve rounds. Cheatham gave the last six rounds four of them to Haney. Sutherland split the final. So you have three guys ringside watching seemingly three different fights. Or they're just yeah. not on the same page, and I don't understand Moretti's going to get the the brunt of it because he had the uh, most the widest scorecard. Um, you know, he's he's seventy years old. Um, he's been a judge since nineteen seventy seven. Larry Holmes was the heavyweight champion when Dave Moretti started mm. um, judging fights. Like we talk about this a lot on my show. Like he like last week with the referee with Tony Weeks been been around for a long time. Like it's very easy to throw out corruption. It's, it's like an, an ongoing running joke in the boxing world. But sometimes it's just incompetent. Sometimes it's just these guys yeah. are just getting up there in age. Like Jared Diamond, who does great work with MLB. He's an MLB writer. He wrote he had a study uh, about MLB umpires. MLB umpire, the average age is 50 years old. The best umpires by the grading system are in their 30s. 
Mm. So guys that just had a few years on the job are doing a better job than the experience. And 20 years of experience, those are the, those are the umpires in baseball that are making the worst calls. Dave Reddy's double that. He's got 40 years of experience. It just comes down to that. I know it's very easy to say corruption, but a lot of times, like, it's just they just lost it a little bit. I mean, you can be, lose your prime in, in judging, too, just like you can refereeing, just like you can in, in athletics. Yeah, I don't think it's – I've never believed any of this stuff was corruption. It just is incompetence. And there's no sport where incompetence is more dangerous than in boxing. If you're a referee and you're incompetent, stuff like Tony Weeks can happen in uh, in the Romero-Barroso uh, fight. Or worse, you could have a situation where you don't stop a fight quick enough and a guy gets his head caved in, yeah. which may have happened in the Genebec fight uh, on that uh, the, same night. the week before. Yeah, oh, uh, or the same night. Yeah, same night. Yeah. So – I, I just think, you know, when, when fighters put all that into their craft and have so much on the line with the outcomes of these fights, millions of dollars, potentially world championships, you've got to have the very best of the best refereeing and calling these fights, regardless of what state they are licensed in, regardless of the part of the country that they're from, part of the world, frankly, that they're from, you've got to have the very best of the best involved in this fight and you know dave moretti to me is no longer one of the best of the best maybe he was at some point but you know now he's not uh on that list um so Igus klima says he's going to protest that's going to go nowhere uh devin haney's you know the winner of this fight the rightful winner of this fight and now devin haney has something of a decision to make he stayed at 135 for the Lomachenko fight, because he has been chasing Lomachenko really since 2018, 19, whenever he won uh, his version of the WBC title. He gets that fight. He wins that fight. And now he's got to decide, do I stay at 135 and you know take a fight with Shakur Stevenson, which while being an incredibly skilled fight and incredibly uh, good fight for the boxing purist is not the most marketable fight, at least not right now. Do I pursue a fight with Gervonta Davis, who may or may not not want to fight me at this point? Or does Devin Haney move up to 140 pounds and start to campaign at a new weight class? What do you think is the best option right now for Devin Haney? Best option for boxing fans and the best option for Devin Haney's pockets is Gervonta Davis' fight. Clearly. Mm. I mean, that's by far the most marketable fight and the biggest commercial fight. The Shakur fight, I feel like, as of when we started recording this, I think is out the window now because I don't think uh haney is going to be back with top rank according just from tweets you would probably know better than me but i just so just yeah let me just to put a button on that like i think it was paulie malinaji that first said that devin haney resigned with top rank he didn't resign there and not because he didn't want to and maybe he didn't want to but top rank also didn't offer him anything that's what i was told explicitly they didn't offer him extension not to say that they won't if they have the right fight for him. But as of right now, they have not offered Devin Haney an extension. So a lot of that is kind of, it's social media. It's much ado about nothing in a way. Right. Yeah. So I still don't think one third, that, that fight with Shakur makes a lot of sense right now. Uh, Shakur just moved up to 135. Uh, it would be awesome. I would love to watch it. I just don't see that uh, happening with the whole business sense uh, of the sport. He can also, if he wants to stay at 135, this is the least sexiest of all the options. Is like, I'm sure there's a mandatory coming up. I spoke to Jake Donovan, who was the, as you know, is the master of the rankings, and he actually keeps track of all that. IBF's Gustavo Limos uh, is the next up at 135. <laughs> Don't think that's the case, but hey, maybe Devin needs a breather. Uh, not, no offense to Mr. Limos. Um, that's a tune-up fight for him, and to stay busy, it gets to defend all his belts to see where everything lines out. The 140 move is intriguing because he, Devin can kind of take it into his hands, which he's pretty much done his entire career. Uh, he's curated his career beautifully from a business standpoint. At 140, you can use the WBO's clause, where if he's a WBO champion at a lower rate, you move up, you can contend for uh, a title right away. It's what Joshua, or excuse me, Usyk did uh, with Joshua. The WBO title fight is Teofimo and, and Taylor. But once again, uh, that's a top-ranked uh, controlled fight. Uh, Teofimo can... Go on social media and say I'm done with top rank. I don't I don't see the contracts. One other thing that you would probably know better than me. Uh, that's another whole top rank issue. So there are a lot of options. I mean, I don't know what the best one is. I mean, for fan's sake, it's Javante Davis for ha- uh, versus uh, Haney. For Haney's sake, moving up to 140 is interesting because he can kind of maybe reset a little bit, take stock of what's going on there. But then again, like those aren't like huge money fights. He said, I will stick around 135 because it it those are where the money fights are and and who's to say like he can rewrite 
some of the things we've seen for years now is marinating fights, not waiting to get into big fights here in your 30s, mid 30s. Who's to say he can't just do it now? Like, go ahead and fight everyone before you turn 27, 28. You're in your prime, make all your money, and then you can figure out what you want to do after that. So I, I, it's very, very intriguing um, to see what Devin Haney's going to do. Uh, his dad's a pretty good manager. I really like Bill Haney. He's done great stuff for his son so far. So I'm, I'm looking, just going to sit back and watch uh, and see what he does because it's really intriguing. Yeah, if I'm Devin Haney, the only thing that keeps me at 135 is Javante Davis mm -hmm. because that is by far the most lucrative fight that's going to be available to him. Devin Haney, Javante Davis is a monster. It is a monster fight. Maybe it's not as marketable as Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis, but it is certainly a lot more compelling and more competitive in the ring. And you have a great contrast in styles with Javante Davis, this power counterpuncher who can knock you out at any time, and Devin Haney, this disciplined boxer who can box circles around you uh, if he gets you uh, in the right moment. So I love that fight. If I'm Devin Haney, I'm willing to stay at 135 uh, to make that fight. I don't know how possible that is. I know Devin Haney is now a free agent, and if I'm Bill Haney, I'm finding my way to getting Al Heyman's bat phone number and having a conversation with him about the feasibility of making that fight happen. I don't believe Devin Haney would submit to the same restrictions that Ryan Garcia submitted to. He's publicly said no rehydration clause. He's he's not going to take any kind of catch weight uh, for this fight. He's going to do it straight up 135 and he's going to want his piece of the pie. You know, he may not be as marketable as Javante Davis, but he sees himself as the undisputed champion, the number one guy in the lightweight division, and he wants to be rewarded accordingly. If I'm the Haney's, I talk to Al Heyman and I see if I can make that fight happen. Other than that, nah, pass. No. Look, yeah. Shakur Stevenson, Shakur Stevenson, Dan, is going to be available at some point. Devin Haney mentioned this at the press conference after his fight. Shakur and Devin Haney are going to fight some way, sometime, somewhere, some weight uh, mm -hmm. in the future. I think it's more likely to happen at 140 or even 147 than it is at 135. If it happens at 140, Shakur will have time to build himself up, win some titles, become even more marketable. Same thing for Devin Haney. So that's a fight that makes sense to ultimately put off. At yeah. 140, there's a chance for Devin Haney to quickly kind of follow the, you know, the path that leads to all the belts at 140 pounds. You mentioned the WBO uh, rule there, and he could go for that. But I think it's more likely that Devin looks to take kind of a lesser fight at 140 early to see how he feels at the weight class to test himself out. Let's say he goes back with matchroom, which is something a lot of people believe is going to happen because the bromance between the Haney's and Eddie Hearn is, is real. Like that is, that is legitimate. They all love each other. Uh, seen it in that, hand, uh, haven't you? I've seen it. I've seen the bromance. <laughs> I've seen the eyes they make at each other at these press conferences. It's, it's a sight to see. Yes. And look, Eddie Hearn is starting to invest in the 140 pound division. He signs Regis Progray. Mm -hmm. He's got Richardson Hitchens and Montana love fighting in July. That's a pretty decent B-level fight where the winner becomes kind of a B-plus level guy. The winner of that fight, in my mind, would be perfect for Devin Haney. You take on the winner of Hitchens versus Montana Love, that's a good fight. It's not the most difficult fight, and you could see where you're at at 140. And then you win that fight, hey, Regis Progray, he's ready to go. He'll fight you at 140, uh, 140 pounds. Look, I think there's a possibility that Ryan Garcia winds up fighting Rolly Romero. I don't think that's all talk. I think that's certainly possible. If Ryan Garcia beats Rolly Romero, all of a sudden, Ryan's got a belt. Devin could have a belt. And you could be talking about Devin Haney versus Ryan Garcia in a super fight sometime in the middle of 2024. I just think everything at 135, if it's not tank, it doesn't matter at this point. There are better options for Devin where he doesn't have to kill himself to get down to a weight that he's been fighting at for his entire boxing career. That's a really good points, and it's that's why it's even more intriguing. It's like we haven't really put much stock into the 140 thing. We're kind of like on this high right now where we're getting all these big fights and boxing fans aren't used to it. Even us as media members aren't used to it. Like we're going just taking big fight, big fight, big fight. But we know it's like, okay, we'll still get those big fights, but you got to slow it down a, a, a little bit. Now, these training camps are hard. These press tours are hard. Not saying that a Haney Hitchinson fight would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, something where he doesn't have to train hard for or there will be pressure on him but it's not the same pressure as going right into a tank fight or right into a Shakur fight mm -hmm. but to, just to go back to the Haney tank thing another reason I would like to see that fight 
um, as being like a boxing nerd it would be the, the I think it would be some of the most interesting negotiations ever because it's like, hey, uh, Javon, uh, uh, Haney goes to Javante. I got all the belts, so I'm on the A side. Javante goes, I don't give a shit about belts. And then uh, Durant <laughs> goes, well, uh, I, I, you got to want to fight me. I'm the money guy. And you go, well, I got all the belts. Like, I mean, you got to want these. You know, this, this is what boxing is all about. No, no, I'm the guy. You don't want to fight me? Oh, oh, well, see you later. I'll go fight, uh, you know, Frank Martin at 135. So that's intriguing to me. That's that whole tank thing where he's kind of re- rewriting the history or rewriting the books and, and kind of doing it in his own way uh, where belts don't exactly matter, which I kind of love. But that would be intriguing. A guy with all the belts versus a guy who doesn't really care about the belts and is clearly a bigger star uh, than Haney. Like the boxing nerd in me would love to see how that negotiation would play out. Yeah, the only reason I think that Gervonta could be interested in that fight is that I don't know where he goes without it. I mean, I guess he could jump up to 140 again and fight Romero in a rematch for a real belt at 140 pounds. I suppose that's a possibility, though I don't think it's likely. Again, I think Romero versus Ryan Garcia is something to keep your eye on over the next couple of months uh, once Ryan Garcia you know gets settled uh, in his new training camp. Uh, and other than that, like I don't even know who PBC has at that 130-135 range. I mean, he's beaten the 130s. He's beaten the 135s. It's just not fertile ground right now for Javante Davis. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you see if you Frank if I'm missing Martin. someone, I don't know, but Frank Martin. I don't see him I, fighting Frank Martin though. I, don't, I just don't see him fighting Frank Martin. If you I, just the risk go by reward the there's too high. Roster. If you just go by the PBC yeah. roster, it's it's Frank Martin jumps to the top of the list because he's simply like process of elimination. We're looking at PBC yeah. guys that fight at 135. It's Frank Martin, and uh, I'm probably missing like like you said, like no one like notable that you'd be like demand for a fight. The best fights for Gervonta are uh, across the aisle fights. Yeah, and you see top ranks starting to to load up on the guys at 135. They signed George Cambosis because they believe if Devin Haney vacates his belt, Cambosis is going to be in line for an IBF title shot if he beats Maxi Hughes uh, in July. So uh, yeah, it's it's just it's going to be difficult for Gervonta to find a super marketable fight. Now, he, could, he doesn't need one. He makes a bunch of money and he sells out arenas without marketable fights, frankly. But yep. if, if he wants a mega fight, it's right there for him to take right now against Devin Haney and We'll see if he decides to to go that route. Um, the other news at the end of last week that was interesting was Ryan Garcia's announcement that he will be training with Derek James for his next fight. Ryan, of course, left Joe Goosen after three fights, left him immediately after the loss to Gervonta Davis. And now he's going to go to Dallas and start training with Derek James, who notably has Errol Spence in his stable, has got Jermel Charlo in his stable, and more recently has Anthony Joshua in his stable. So Derek James is well-known. He's a former trainer of the year. Uh, but was this the right move by Ryan Garcia? Time will tell. Uh, I think it's the right move in terms of him getting back on track, uh, focusing. I've heard a lot of rumblings. Sure you heard, too. The camp was a little messy, uh, his last camp with, with Goosen and a lot of cooks in the kitchen, uh, Ryan Garcia. This kind of uh, eliminates a lot of that. Derek James is the consensus trainer of the year. No-nonsense type of guy, runs a tight ship. Uh, not only that, Ryan's going to be hes going to be training alongside some of the best. He's going to be training alongside Joshua when Joshua's in town. Errol Spence, Jamel Charlo, uh, Frank Martin, like we just said earlier. That helps. Um, I know you can just say, hey, he had the same thing with Canelo. He had a pretty good st- a stable there. Uh, and things went awry, but maybe Ryan seems like he's a little, got his head on straight a little more, uh, kind of realizing that, you know, if I really want to have a career in the sport, it's like now or never. I said after the fight with uh, Tank that he was at somewhat of a career crossroads. I understand it's very dramatic, but it's true. I mean, he's beefing with his promoter. He's changing a, 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 a trainer for the third or fourth time. Um, he doesn't know exactly what's next. Uh, he just uh, lost the first fight of his career. So I do think this brings a lot of stability. Uh, we're going to see how all in he is. Is he going to move to Texas or is he just going to dart in, dart out uh, for, for training camps? I know he's posted on social media that I love Texas and I can see myself living here. Yeah. He says, you know, kids say a lot of things. So he can, uh, who knows if he'll actually do it. But I think it's a step in the right direction in terms of that. In terms of Derek James's style, like I'm not sure it's a it's a, a perfect fit in terms of how Derek James uh, trains his fighters. I understand he's very versatile. Like he has... Errol Spence, who we said earlier, is a guy that throws close to 70 punches around. And you have Jamel Charlo, who's the complete opposite. He's a low-volume, high-accuracy uh, um, 
game-changing power. That's more along the lines of what Ryan Garcia is. Ryan Garcia doesn't throw a lot of punches. He plods forward, Got really doesn't have the best footwork. Maybe Derek James can work on that. If James could look at Ryan Garcia in the same light as a Jamel Charlo, now that sounds like a crazy comparison, but if you just go by the punch volume, Ryan has great power. Maybe you can lean more into that. Working on the footwork at this age seems seems a little tough, but I think it's a step in the right direction for Ryan. But of course, you know, time will tell. Time will tell with this kid. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on maybe it's the right move. Um, I have all, all the respect in the world for Derek James. The job he's done with Charlo, with Errol Spence, uh, remarkable. Now with Frank Martin, he's an excellent trainer. The common thread, though, with those guys is that Derek James has had them from a very early age. And when you have guys, you know, it, when you can mold guys from the beginning, it's a lot different than taking someone that is not a finished product as in Ryan Garcia, but someone that's been fighting a certain way for a long period of time and is preset in those ways. Changing those types of fighters is difficult. Historically, there's only been a handful of trainers that have had levels of success doing that. Emmanuel Stewart was one of the best at it. I mean, he was kind of one of the better guns for hires out there where he would take a fighter figure out what's wrong with them. Usually it's a heavyweight and he would do uh, good things with them. Freddie Roach has a great track record for that. Manny Pacquiao being a high profile example, Miguel Cotto, Freddie coaxed a lot of him uh, later in his career. I think Teddy Atlas has done some good things uh, with fighters in kind of one-off or two-off situations that he's taken on. I don't know that Derek James can do that. I mean, I watched the Anthony Joshua fight. I didn't see, you know, any kind of market improvement in Joshua. Yeah, it was only one fight and he'll be back in camp getting ready for the next one, but I'll need to see it to see if Derek James can can be that guy uh with uh with AJ. The the other thing is that I I kind of worry about like Ryan Garcia when he went with Joe Goosen. Like at that time Joe Goosen was kind of a, a cool name, right? He was on Fox, he was visible, um he had a lot of success back in the day, most notably with Diego Corrales. Hadn't trained anybody a while, but he had worked with Ryan Garcia very early in his career, so there was some familiarity there. So that was kind of why he went with Joe Goosen. Right now, Derek James, in addition to being a great trainer, is the cool name, right? Yeah. Like, Derek James is the cool name. He's the hot name that's out there. He's got Spence. He's got Charlo. Anthony Joshua agreed to move from England to go and work with Derek James. He's kind of that cool name. So I don't know... If Ryan Garcia is going with Derek James because he's the right fit or because he sees the stars that Derek James has built up and believes he can do the same thing for me. I've been on record, Dan, for, for a couple of months now, really ever since the, the goose and slit became official. And it, it kind of was half joking at the start, but I pointed to the guy that trained Sergio Mora, Dean Campos, Southern California, like Sergio as much as I mock him, had some of the best footwork in boxing during his heyday. Sergio was an excellent defensive fighter during his heyday. Like, these are the things that Ryan Garcia, like, needs. He needs improvement on his footwork. He needs improvement with his defense. Now, I don't know if Dean can take a finished product and and work with him and break him down. I know he'd try, and he would really make Ryan Garcia work on his footwork and not focus on his power, his speed, and all the things that made him great. That's what I think Ryan Garcia needs. He needs someone to break him down at the fundamental level and make him a better fighter. It's what Emmanuel Stewart did with Vladimir Klitschko. You know, he yeah. took Vladimir Klitschko and said, you are no longer this brawler that's getting into you know, street fights with what was it, Corey Sanders and mm -hmm. you know, guys that used to beat up on Vladimir early in his career. You are using your size. You are using your reach. You're going to bore the hell out of some people sometimes, but you're going to win a lot of fights fighting this way. Klitschko turned into one of the dominant heavyweights of his era because he fought that way. That's what I think Ryan Garcia needs. I don't know if it's Dean Campos. I don't know if it's Freddie Roach. I don't know who it is, but I'm not sure that it's going to be Derek James. Yeah, it's a tale as old as time. It's like you said, hiring the sexy name, the in vogue trainer, the guy that has all the, the trainer of the year, has all the fighters. Like it, time will tell for sure. And it, like you said, it's like, is he going to be able to mesh right away? Like I like Ryan Garcia, but he has a lot of flaws. Like the footwork that takes a while. Like that takes that. That's not something you're going to fix in, in an eight week camp. Um, you know, no offense to, to Dean Campbell. So he, he's not like a sexy name. So I can see why Ryan wouldn't uh, want to go with that. He's a, Ryan's a guy that likes to make a splash. Uh, and this is a splashy move. He certainly uh, did it. Yeah. 
<laughs> so we'll see. Like we said, like I'm an optimistic Dan. That's what they call me. Um, I'm pretty optimist, uh, optimistic for a boxing fan. I was pretty excited when I first saw it because I felt like it it indicated that he was taking his career very serious. Um, but we'll see. That's that's all. That's the most I could say on that. I'm glad that he's leaving Southern California and getting out of his comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I hope that like some of the things he did, you know, I, you know, he, he using the mitts with his brother and, you know, from what I heard, like, you know, doing the body work with his brother, I think you got to leave all that stuff behind. Like if you want to bring family down there, great. You like being around family, fine. But when you're in that gym and you're working, it's got to be Derek James's way or the highway. It can't be anything like what you've done in the past. I think he's plateaued for what he is right now. And I think now he needs, you know, somebody to add something to his game to make him a little bit better because 140 pounds is a dangerous division. That is a bunch of killers up there at 140. Maybe not Rolly Romero, but when you start talking about Regis Progre and Subriel Matias and the winner of Teofimo Lopez versus Josh Taylor and eventually Devin Haney, you have got to be at your best to beat these guys. Ryan's got a lot of confidence in himself, and I like that about him. I like that he took on the challenge of Gervonta Davis at an early stage of his career. I like that he you know, acquiesced to a lot of the uh, demands that were made by Gervonta Davis, uh, but he's got to get better if he's going to be an elite guy at 140, 147, or eventually wherever uh, he winds up. All right, last thing I want to ask you about. We've got a rematch this weekend over in England. Mauricio Lara, who at one point was like this opponent that Eddie Hearn found to fight Josh Warrington. Now he is 126-pound title holder and one of the scariest punchers in all of boxing. He is going back to Lee Wood's backyard to take on Wood in a rematch. The last fight a few months ago, ended with Lee Wood on his back. Got up, but was shaky. Ben Davison stops the fight. Probably did the right thing in that moment. Mauricio Lara, time after time, whether it's against Josh Warrington, Lee Wood, he has shown he has bone-crushing power at 126. Lee Wood activated this rematch, Dan, very quickly. Was immediately saying, I want to run this back. Is this, is this and was this the right decision for Lee Wood to make? I don't think it was the right decision. Um, this fight was only three months ago. Like, this is unheard of. Unheard of. Like, Oscar Valdez is coming back April, uh, August 12th, uh, but he wasn't knocked out in his last fight. Uh, like, six months seems to be the norm. Like, look back and even like the heydays, like, you would see, you go on Box Rec, you see a rematch, and it's six months later. It's pretty standard. Uh, I do think that, like, Lee Wood burst onto the scene. I think people. We'll forget that he's like 33, 34 years old. He might think this is his last chance at a at a title, even though I think it, it really isn't. Because if Lara wins uh, or, uh, you know, Lara could have went on to fight Warrington uh, and Eddie could have said, hey, Lee, why don't you take a few months off? Uh, we'll have Lara fight Warrington. He spit on his face. We could sell it. Uh, and then we'll circle back and, and you'll get your shot. But I mean, he's going right into it. You got to give him credit. Do I think it's the right move? Absolutely not. Uh, I would go ahead and put money on Lara uh, knockout because uh, I'm that confident. Uh, I think Lee Wood has a lot of deficiencies when it comes to uh, defense. Um, he does. He was winning, though. I think maybe that's in the back of his mind. You know, I was winning that fight. He was up in that fight until he got absolutely laid out. But that's the thing about Lara. I think he's one of the top five punchers in boxing. I think he's box office, mm -hmm. must-watch type of guy, uh, smaller weight, and Matchroom's going to do their their magic and, and try to build him up. Intriguing. Uh, featherweight's really intriguing. Uh, you know, I got another fight there, too, with Conlon and, and Lopez, and there's a lot of good names at featherweight. It doesn't get a lot of pub because I feel like 130, 135, 140 right now, and obviously not 147. Spence and Crawford are getting all the eyeballs, but featherweight's fun. Like It's not the biggest fights, but they're fun fights. Lara has to be making a killing just beating up on these Brits. Like <laughs> he, he goes to the UK and just pounds Josh Warrington. And look, I think Josh Warrington caught a break seven months later when that rematch was stopped in the second round because of the cut over Lara's eye. Like Josh Warrington was battered in that fight. Mauricio Lara beat him up. And the fact that Josh Warrington took that rematch seven months later seemed crazy to me. I thought he caught a break when that fight was stopped uh, in the second round. I, I think there's a merit to your point about Lee Wood maybe thinking this is his last stand. He's in the latter stages of his career. If he turns down the fight, I guess he could fight Warrington in a fight that didn't involve a title, but Warrington's coming off that loss to Lopez and the shine is really off him. And I think you're right too, that in, in Wood's mind, you know, six, seven rounds of this fight, he was winning. 
or however long it went before the stoppage. He was landing big shots. He was controlling the fight with his size. He just got caught by a left hook from hell uh, from Mauricio Lara that put him down and put him out. So there's got to be something in his mind that uh, makes him believe he's going to win a decision in a rematch. But a guy like Lara that just has power from everywhere. And after a guy knocks you out like that, that, that leaves a mark <laughs> that that yeah, takes something mark, out of man. you. Yeah. That, that it takes something out of your you. head, right? It's got to be in the back of your mind. Like, yeah, you can go be confident and, and be like, yeah, I was up seven rounds, but okay. The fight ended with you in one of the like better knockouts of, of the year. Uh, it's an interesting move. Um, it should be a fun fight, but yeah, I'm, I was a little puzzled by that, especially the three month turnaround. That's nuts. Lars should just move to the UK permanently or move to somewhere on that continent. Because if he beats uh, Wood is Warrington out there who inexplicably wants a third fight with uh, with Lara. And then let's say, you know, Michael Conlon wins and has a belt at 126 when he fights Lopez. I mean, I, I don't give Conlon much of a chance against Lara. I think Conlon's a little bit too chinny in a situation like that. Um, <laughs> there's a good chance for Lara to get rich and increase his profile exponentially just by staying uh, overseas in the UK area. It's, I like Robesi Ramirez. I think he's one of the best um, featherweights. Yeah, he's got those those sustainable skills. He got the defense. He's very hard to hit. He's got the pedigree. I think Lara and Robesi Ramirez are the two best. They would probably deliver the best fight in terms of styles. Probably won't see it because of the uh, you know the, the promotions uh, getting in the way. You know, we but, might we might see it though because because those guys like Robesi Ramirez is a tremendously skilled, but he's not. The most marketable guy at this point. I would imagine the top rank, you know, if whoever wins out of the Conlon Lopez fight, they match that fighter up with Ramirez next. And mm-hmm. look, once you've got two belts of Lars out there with the third, and there's no big time marketable fights out there, that's a deal that that can be made between these two guys, those two guys. And it is, to your point, a clash of styles that's terrific. I mean, Ramirez is is a puncher, don't get me wrong, but he is a brilliant boxer. Whereas Lara is brute force, a little wild or a lot wild at times, but he is brute force in there in the ring. And you got Ray Vargas just lurking. 120. He's the WBC champ. Uh, I know his last yeah, fight was yeah, at 130, yeah. so people kind of forget. Like, it's an interesting division. You got Brandon Figueroa, who I feel like is on the outside, kind of looking in. Um, PBC doesn't have besides Vargas. I don't even know if he's still with the PBC, but he's the WBC champ. Figueroa is another mm-hmm. top six-ish or seven-ish featherweight who's probably on the outside looking in because he just you know all the fights are with other promotions. Um, yeah. Fun division, and it I feel like PBC will be playing like, like, yeah, PBC will be playing musical chairs with that WBC belt. Like Stephen Fulton, whatever happens to the interweight fight, he'll be moving up to sure. one twenty six. Maybe he's a candidate to fight Figueroa, fight Vargas. Uh, yeah, that that belt might stay on that side of the street for for a while. But either way, Lara versus Wood. I, look, I was com- I was gripped to that fight while it was happening. It was a great fight, you know. Throughout, Definitely. I hope this one is equally. Uh, as compelling. All right, catch Dan Canobio, John Boy Media, Inside Boxing Live. Check him out Friday in Orlando, the debut of the Most Valuable Prospects series uh, in Orlando, Florida, that you can watch live on zone. Dan, appreciate your time, man. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And when we come back, welterweight contender Alexis Rocha. All right, so I very recently finished moving. I mean, I guess you'd never really finished moving because a lot of things associated with a move that take up your time from furniture delivery to taking out stuff that is already there to home repair, home remodeling. I'm dealing with all that right now. The most invaluable resource I have had during this process is Angie. Angie's List, which many of you know, is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie doesn't just get your home projects done. Angie gets them done well. With 20-plus years of experience combined with new tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing your home projects incredibly easy. We're here for you every step of the way on your home ownership journey, helping with everything from a leaky faucet to a full kitchen renovation. The full bathroom renovation is where this has come up big uh, for me. With over 220,000 pros in our network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. Angie can help you get the best price for your project. Angie has projects that are priced upfront and clearly lays out the cost before you buy. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. With Angie, you can request quotes from multiple pros 
in just a few taps. The pros in our network are locally based. The pros have been rated and reviewed by others in your area who have actually used their services. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the website, you can have Angie tackle your home service project from start to finish. Or you can research and connect with local pros for your specific project. So download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, Alexis Rocha is a 147-pound contender. On Saturday, he'll be back in the ring when he takes on Anthony Young in the fight that was originally scheduled for back in January. Rocha Young will take place Saturday. That's a fight you can watch live on DAZN. And Alexis, before we get into the Young fight and everything about it, um, over the last couple of months, you have been mentioned with Terrence Crawford. Uh, you yeah. are, are the number one contender for Crawford's WBO welterweight title. There was even a, I believe, a purse bid. I don't know if it was ordered, but discussed at some point. Um, it, walk me through kind of the last couple of months for you and why we're seeing you fight Anthony Young and not a fight with Terrence Crawford. Yeah, so WBO ordered a purse bid with Terrence Crawford. And I believe we had, this was ordered, I want to say, late February. And it was, the purse bid started March 17th, 16th. So we had a couple weeks. So we just kind of had to just waited, see what was going on with Crawford's team. You know, uh, we just kind of waited, see what was going on. And I believe the day before or two days before the purse bid was going on, we got word that Eric Gomez got word from, from Crawford's team that Crawford was pursuing a fight with Spence. And there were negotiations to talk. So that would leave that would leave us on the sidelines. So we weren't gonna do that. So I want to thank Golden Boy. And I want to thank the Zone for for opening up a, opening up a TV spot for me and putting me on the main event and keeping me busy. So a few questions on that. Um, yeah, you, like the purse bid gives you some power in that situation because if it goes to a purse bid and there's an actual bid, you know that fights. You know, it's it's going to happen one way or the other, or yeah. one of you would have to withdraw. As we sit here talking, middle of May, maybe Spence Crawford happens, maybe it doesn't. Um, did you expect there to be some kind of announcement for Spence Crawford by this point in the calendar? I honestly did. We we've heard that there was going to be an announcement on the Ryan Tank card on the Rank Tank card, and you know we're. Everyone was waiting for it, but nothing ever happened. So I'm surprised it's taking this long. I don't know what's the holdup, but you know, I got I got to keep doing my job. I got to focus on me. Would you, knowing what where we're at right now, where there yeah. has been no announcement, would you do anything differently? Would you have pushed for that purse bid about a month ago? Are you happy to be kind of in this situation where you get a kind of a stay busy fight before you go into that? Would you have done anything differently? Um. I don't know what I would have done differently. I, I I would have I would sit back and talk to my team about it. Don't know what I would have done because I I'm new to this. I'll be honest. I don't the whole <laughs> explain to me of the purse bit. I'm like, okay, that's going on. What this is going on? We have to win. And to me, it was it was new. You no, know? this is a whole. This is I'm I'm new to this, and you know I'm I'm very grateful for all this going on. I'm beyond blessed for all this because all all of this got me from my hard work. And, you know, as a stay busy fight, I don't look at any stay busy fights. Every fight's dangerous. You know, with Anthony Young in the table, he's going to come to win. He's not going to, he's not going to, he's not going to be nervous in a sense. He's not going to go in there and he's counted to lose. I know that, you know, people are looking at me as the favorite. And with Anthony Young across my, my, my ring, you know, that night, you know, I can't take anyone lightly, especially going to come and want to take my dreams away. And you know, I, that doesn't sit well with me. Yeah, stay busy, probably the wrong phrase. Stay active is is probably exactly. the right, better way to put it because we've seen a lot of times guys waiting for fights to happen wind up sidelined four months, five months, six months. You're here middle of May getting your second fight in in this calendar year, which in boxing is ultra active nowadays, being uh -huh. uh, fighting twice uh, in a year. It um, Before I get to Young, like if you get through this fight, if you beat Anthony Young, is your mindset, look, whether it's a purse bid, a vacated title, whatever, 
that WBO welterweight title shot that you've earned uh, is is yours next. You know, it's it's everyone always asks me that question, Chris, and then I'm gonna tell you the same thing I tell everyone. I, you have to tell me. No, you that have to tell after. something different. You have to tell me something different than you tell everybody. You have to give hey, me like I, the, I gotta, the unique I have, answer. I have this tunnel vision, you know that, Mannix. <laughs> I have this, I have this tunnel vision, and I'm not gonna overlook anyone. And you can literally ask me after the fight, you know, I got to focus. I plan on to. I will. First. I absolutely will ask you that after the right. I'll be standing there in the ring with you asking yeah. that very same question after the fight. Uh, like, so you were preparing for Anthony Young back yes. in January. He withdrew. Yes. You wound up facing George Ashley. What kind of fighter were you preparing for uh, for that fight? Um, You know, I've seen tape of him. You know, he's a guy that comes to fight. He's a guy that wants a counterpunch. He's going to want to mix it up. He's going to want to tangle me, you know, fight me in the inside. And, you know, I, I looked a lot of tape and, you know, I'm prepared for this physically, mentally. You know, I'm, I'm ready. You beat George Ashy your last time out. You get the stoppage win in that yeah. fight. How did you feel about that performance? It wasn't my best performance. It, it really wasn't my best performance. I was staying in the pocket too much. I was getting hit with shots that I should not have gotten hit. And that was more of my mistake because I knew he was a smaller guy coming up in weight. Um, if it was a 140-pounder, he probably would have hurt the guy. Me, me being a bigger 47-pounder, he was not hurting me at all. So I was taking unnecessary dumb shots. And those are the, those are the, those are the mistakes I need, to, I need to correct. Not correct, but I, need, I can snap out of it. I know I can step back. I do it all the time in sparring. But just that fight, some other fights, these guys hit me. And I'm like, all right, I could, I could exchange. Me knowing that I'm a heavy puncher and I'm strong physically um i know that i could sit in the pocket and you know underestimate those shots but i can't be doing that in this type of this level right now that i'm in i know i gotta take more correction corrections and that's what i've been working on this game plan not my game plan but in my in my in my performances from here on out yeah and it's funny when i was talking to your trainer hector lopez over the last couple of months you know one of the reasons he was I don't know if happy is the right word, but okay with you getting this kind of in-between fight is that he did see things you needed to correct. He did see some things you needed to work on before mm -hmm. you stepped up to that world championship level against a fighter like Crawford. So what has been different about this camp? What kind of work have you done to try to improve on some of the things from the Ashy fight? I Me mean, not stepping in there, throwing my combinations, breaking them down, but taking that step back, taking those sides, you know, move that, move that head more, move my waist more, just more on the defense side. You feel happy with the way you've developed offensively because even though you took some shots, I mean, you were, it was fun to yeah. watch, Alexis. It was, you were in there and you were ready to bang with that guy. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch, but it's not it's not good for my long-term <laughs> health. Man, I don't want to be taking shots like that. But yeah, definitely, you know, I have a, I have a fan-friendly style. You know, I could bang, you know, I could box, and I haven't showed that I could box. You know, I've, I have a very nice amateur background. You know, I practice it all the time in sparring, but sometimes I I rely too much on my power. Sometimes I apply I rely on my me being strong physically and trying to bully these guys away. But that doesn't always work. You got to use your brains, and I'm understanding that now to not get hit, to use my defense to hit and not get hit, just like Mayweather says. How do you balance that though? I mean, being a a great offensive fighter is not only what makes you successful, it makes you entertaining. It helps draw the crowds to come see you fight. How do you balance, you know, good offense with enough defense? I believe using the defense as a as a counterpuncher, it comes very natural to me. You know, if you ever see me in sparring, it's it's very natural to me counterpunching, taking those steps, using those angles. But like I said, I've I've relied too much on it and I'm not gonna fall back on that. That's not my bread and butter. I know what I could do. I know what I more I could bring to the table. And it's very easy for me being a southpaw, you know, slipping the right hand or slipping the hook, slipping, bobbing and weaving. We just saw your stablemate, Ryan Garcia, drop a, a loss or take a loss to Javante yeah. Davis. I mean, great fight. I mean, great for Ryan Garcia for stepping up, being fearless great, yeah. uh, in that moment. Give him all the credit in the world for that. Just, I think part of the reason, to my eyes, Alexis, that he lost was because I don't know if he was quite ready for that stage against that caliber of of an opponent is there anything you yeah. can learn from from watching that as you kind of prepare for for your big step up you know down the line yeah. this year or or whatever really you have to believe in yourself you know if you believe in yourself and you put yourself to that pedestal and then you train as hard as you can and you have that self-belief 
you know, it's it, it it's gonna get there. You're gonna be there. You're gonna be on top of those all the all the names. You know, you just have to have that chip on your shoulder, that confidence in you to go out there and say, this guy's not gonna take it from me, or I have to go and take it from this guy. And I, I have to fight whoever it is. What's your confidence level with your skills right now? I mean, I'm very, very confident. I'm a very confident guy. I know that I have to work on things, and I know I have to improve on things, and that's what drives me. That's what gets me out of bed. The the it's the it's the fear of not losing but letting myself down that drives me. And to every fighter, I believe there's every fear in every fighter. And if they say there isn't, then they're bullshitting because no one wants to lose. No one wants to get humiliated, and that's what drives a fighter. Your promoter, Oscar De La Hoya, one of the all-time great welterweights as well, in addition to other weight classes. Uh, yeah. What's been his advice to you as you've started to move towards that elite level over the last year or so? I haven't really talked to Oscar as much, but he's always telling me that I'm very close, you know. Um, just stay busy, stay stay hungry, and he's always telling me never lose never lose sight of what's, what's, what's to come. Mm-hmm. What's to come next? Anthony Young on Saturday, Fantasy Springs in Indio, California. That's a fight you can watch live on the zone. Glad to see you get back, Alexis. And you you better believe uh, I'll have a Terrence Crawford question for you if you come out victorious in that ring on Saturday night. Thank you, Chris. And when we come back, this week's picks. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, time now for this week's picks, and it was a tough week last week. I thought I was giving you two winners. I gave you two losers. Katie Taylor drops a decision to Chantel Cameron. I should have known better. Vasily Lomachenko drops a decision to Devin Haney. I thought Lomachenko won the fight, but I should have known better. Shout out to the guy 
in the MGM Grand Garden Arena that was shouting at me from the upper level that he took my advice on these picks. Uh, I saw you. I heard you. I remember you. I apologize for that. This week, the fight that I am locked in on is the 126-pound title fight over in England. You've got Lee Wood, Mauricio Lara, part two. Uh, it was just a few months ago that Mauricio Lara stopped Lee Wood with a spectacular knockout. Left hand, put Lee Wood down, and ultimately out. Uh, Lara coming into this fight, understandably, a pretty significant favorite. He's at minus 320, Lee Wood plus 230 to win. Lara by knockout is minus 190. Honestly, I thought those odds would be even worse because Lara's not a great boxer and his best chance to win is to stop Lee Wood again. And Lee Wood has been stopped now a couple of times and that knockout loss was pretty nasty, if we're being honest. Lee Wood, to win by points, is at plus 420. I almost want to go there. I almost want to take Lee Wood to win by decision because he was winning that fight before Mauricio Lara knocked him out. But I think Lara is such a vicious puncher that he's going to win this fight and he's going to win by knockout. So my official prediction, Mauricio Lara to win minus 320. If you want to get into the method of victory, Mauricio Lara to win by knockout at minus 190. Tempted to take Lee Wood, but I want to give you a winner this week. And I think Mauricio Lara is just too big a puncher for Lee Wood to hang with him over 12 rounds. Those are my picks. Hopefully, they're better than last week. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Dan Canobio and Alexis Rocha for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.